Hey, I will sit at the ramp all day and back your boat in the water for five bucks a pop. Check us out on this episode. That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, God, it's a toad, son. It's a fucking toad, dude. Let's go. I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's going to be a bad day. I tell you what, if, if a young kid knows how to back a boat, he can make a lot of money in the summertime by just offering to help people out of the boat ramp. Welcome back to the one cast. Uh, welcome. It's, it's Ben. We got Pete and Trey here today. We were going to talk a little bit of fishing etiquette, but we got some other things to cover first. We, we had some a lot of big things happen here in the fishing industry in the last couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about it. But just a second, remember, join that snagless revolution. Go over to onecastfishing.com. Use that code, the onecast at checkout, and uh, save 10%. 10. 10. I give it a 10. Full 10%. You <laughs> threw him off. 10%. <laughs> you did throw me off. <laughs> 10% off, yep. So, so, Seminole, Big O, Elites. Yeah, there was a... So, those paying attention to tournament season started for the professional anglers and Bassmaster, the elites have already had two tournaments back to back. Okeechobee, the Big O, and then this last weekend they were on Seminole. And uh, Pete, you want to tell the guys who who won? Tyler Rivette won uh, Okeechobee, and Joey C. Fuentes won <laughs> down there on uh, on Seminole. Both of them, plug your ears, Randy Blockett. Using forward-facing sonar in order to uh, to capture those dubs, which to me is really cool because everybody thought Okeechobee, Seminole, sight fishing, shallow water flipping. I'm going to apologize. Not everybody in my voice allergies at that time of year here. Um, but they all thought flipping, shallow water, sight fishing. And a lot of guys caught good fish doing that. But these two guys in two tournaments went out and found something completely different, and they capitalized on that opportunity, and they, and they won. Joey Seif went as a rookie. Yep. On the elites, wins his second tournament he fishes, and Tyler Rivette captured his first elite series. I think this is his third year mm-hmm. on the elites. Yeah. So pretty cool. It, it just goes to show you both those guys were catching fish 15 to 24, 25 feet deep. Uh, sure, yeah, they were using forward facing sonar, but a lot of the other guys were fishing shallow, and there was a lot of spawning fish going on. You can fish offshore and you catch big bags when everyone else is on the bank. So mm-hmm. I thought it was definitely a pretty cool event to. To be, to be able to see that. I'm interested to see how they flip that into cheating, since that's what everybody <laughs> says. Forward-facing sonar is cheating. I don't know how you cheat finding fish somewhere where they live, but, you know. I, I think it was cool to see, like, they didn't have to manage fish as much as somebody who's in a sight fishing tournament, right? Like, they they found a group of fish, several groups of fish, but I think Tyler Rivette in the first event, like, he found, like, a 100-yard stretch in 20 foot of water leading up to where... There was crappie over brush piles, but he accidentally found that when he was going crappie fishing to feed the guys at, at night because yeah. that's that's what he did, right? He cooked the food and stuff. So he went out there and accidentally stumbled onto something that he put together as being his primary game plan, and it worked out for four days, right? And then you transition to Seminole, and Joey Safuente is like the cowboy himself, like found something offshore on Seminole that no one else was doing. And it's not like no one... <laughs> It's that time of season now. Yeah. I'm coughing. Hey, I did want to say, allergies are good. That means the spawn's coming. That's right. right. It's right That's around right. the corner. The pollen's out. The pollen's That's on right. the water. But you better be forward-facing sonar. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but what was interesting about Joey on Seminole, um, I didn't get to watch live as much uh, this past weekend, but uh, they were talking one of the mornings. He'd actually moved up 
because I think he caught a big enough bag. He just went fishing. Mm -hmm. But uh, during practice, there were other guys around in that depression pond, whatever it was there, that uh, that big hole in the channel. But they were fishing the edges of it where it drops off with jerk baits, chatter baits, and all. And he was dragging out in the middle of it and just something yep. different. And uh, yeah, with a hand poured morning dawn drop shot worm and just morning, went to work. You don't say morning dawn. Is that yeah, what morning dawn. <laughs> I know it's tough to believe that it was that color, but I mean, who would have thought, right? Drop shop, drop shotting down in Florida and in Georgia. Like you think big line, big tungsten weights, big flipping hooks, and he's out there finessing them. And hey, it it worked out. I can also yeah. say he was probably another week, and that pattern wouldn't have been there. Yeah, like eventually those fish are going to move up. And everybody, if you listen to all the guys uh, that fished it talk, it was really weird. Like. The water got so warm so fast, the fish didn't really know what they were doing. They wanted to spawn, but it wasn't quite right. So there was, they were kind of, it was a tough, like Iconelli didn't have anything he said in practice. And then he found yeah. some fish pre-spawn in a ditch and, and ended up catching enough to fish all three days. And, you know, and it was, uh, you know, it may not work every time down there, but it worked this time. And that's all that matters. That is something to talk about too. I know we don't usually talk about the non-winners, but. Think about Ike, man. Like, he made a pretty good comeback. Actually, he had two first good events, right? Yeah. He didn't yeah. do too bad in the Big O. And then in Seminole, he was there on day four, I want to say, mm -hmm. right? He, was so, uh, he finished 10th. He was top 10. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he went out there and, and he adjusted. I remember watching him live and he goes, we can't be here. We're going to die here, right? And he made that that on-the-fly on the adjustment and he ran new water and he caught fish as soon as they got to that water, and that boosted his confidence. And he weighed in a good bag. And hey, man, hats off to Mike Iconelli. You don't you don't get to fish at that level for more than twenty years without knowing when to make yeah. those moves. So. Make a few adjustments. Yeah, That's I right. think he struggled a little bit with that last year after a few years off of the five fish tournament and not and not tournament fishing at all. But he looks like he's got it back. So for for you guys, I got to ask you, and this is for the viewers too. Does sometimes it feel like a breath of fresh air when somebody who has never won before wins an event like that? Absolutely. Yeah. It goes back, um, you know, I think I've talked about this on, on a, a podcast before, but those guys who came in in 2019, right, 19, 18, 19, whenever uh, MLF took a lot of the Bassmaster guys, there's a lot of guys who, who, who got pulled up to the elite level that would have never made it. Um, just because there were so many openings and a couple of those guys have won multiple tournaments already. Mm -hmm. yeah. So there's a lot of big sticks all over the place. And talking about Seminole, like if you look at the bottom 10, bottom 15, there were some big names down oh, there. Oh yeah. yeah. Seminole, it was uh, it, very good for some folks, but it was very tough. I think it was, I think it was weird fishing kind of overall Yeah. down there. And, and much like Rick Clun is, is Cody Huff's mentor, Larry Nixon is Joey Sefuentes' mentor, right? So it was pretty cool to see uh, somebody who's brand new to the uh, to the Elite Series, rookie year. His his mentor is Larry Nixon, Mega Bucks himself, and he goes and wins a second event of the year. That's pretty cool. So, and speaking of new guys winning tournaments, <laughs> now Trey, you didn't win this weekend, but Ooh. you you fished your first uh, Piedmont Bass Classic on mm -hmm. Jordan Lake. Ran by FLL Outdoors, one of our buddies, Doug. But you went out and fished it. You're fishing it this year. You finished 12th on Saturday. Correct. You caught two seven-pounders? Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I got to give a huge shout-out to the Piedmont Bass Classics guys. Uh, Doug runs a pretty good event, and it was a thick field on Jordan Lake. And for the viewers and, and, and those watching, like, if you don't know Jordan Lake, North Carolina, this time of year, it pumps out giant bags. So... 
for me, it was the first big tournament that I fished in three years. And uh, it, the field was stacked. It's a team event, which makes it really cool, right? Like fishing as a team. And I know I got a lot of crap from the viewers before on the co-angler stuff, but this is not like that. You're fishing as a team. Uh, so it's cool to, to have all those fish count for, for your team. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. I, you know, we finished 12th out of 54 boats. I thought that was a really good deal. We only weighed in four fish, but the four fish that we weighed in were close to 19 pounds. The winners of the event though, uh, stuck over a 30 pound bag for five fish. Um, and hats off to those guys. They know how to do it. These guys have been fishing these bodies of water for 20, 30 years, and they just know where the fish live. I think they can name the fish. In the water. And he, yeah, the, guy, the guys that yeah. won won with a 30-pound bag Saturday and 28-pound Sunday. Yep, yep. And they won last year the same two tournaments with a 37-pound bag one day and like a 32-pound yeah. bag the next yep. day. They, so, uh, they've got that bite figured out. I mm-hmm. mean, I stand by this. When I was doing that Best Bass Lake in every state series a couple of years ago, Jordan was my top lake in the state for North mm-hmm. Carolina, and I still think it is. When you're – I mean, Hal caught – I mean, he was fun fishing, but 38 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on like a Tuesday afternoon or whenever, yeah. whenever he was out there. I think there. Falls is catching up. Yeah. Some of the bags they put out last year. I'm interested to see what, what it does this year, but it was right there with Jordan last year. So, and you Harris, could have two. Harris is it's gone downhill. Yeah, it's dead. Hey, um, hey, hey, hey. You can fun fish but that, Harris. That's, you know, 38 pounds. So, that brings me to something we wanted to talk about. And, and the state of North Carolina is looking to partner with fishermen for a F1 bass stocking program. If you don't know what an F1 bass is, it's a mix between a Florida bass and a northern strain. So it's the first generation of their offspring. Um, They want to do it on three lakes. Uh, Lake Norman, which is infested with spotted Alabama bass. Uh, Jordan, which does not have spotted bass. And Gaston, which is infested with spotted bass. I'm going to give my two cents and say, I don't think they need to put those fish in Jordan. I I don't think they're going to do well. And when you're talking 30-plus pound bags, here, here's the thing. And and a lot of anglers want to go out and catch 100 fish a day, and that's great. And that's part of what got us to this problem. But why, why do we want F1 bass? Growth, like, well, for the two, for Gaston and, and Norman, it's because of the Alabama bass. They're trying to push those fish out. They, they want bigger bass, They want right? bigger bass. They want to do. They want to get rid of the non-native spotted bass, and they've had success. Where was that, Trey? Uh, um, so, yeah, so in, in, in Texas and Tennessee, um, you know, let's kind of rewind a little bit, right? So we got a group of fishermen, uh, former professional anglers and stuff, that have kind of taken the initiative to put together a program that works with, you know, a federally um, – uh, certified 501c3 nonprofit organization to support the North Carolina Wildlife Commission, right? These professional anglers got together and created their own little co-op where they've seen, they've traveled nationally and they saw the success from introducing Florida strain F1 bass. Like Pete said, a mixture between Florida Northern bass. They've seen the introduction into some of those fisheries really be successful, primarily in Texas. We all know Texas grows giant bass look at lake ivy right or any of those lakes sam rayburn fork all that stuff and and texas does a really good job the texas wildlife commission or whatever they call it over there no i think you're right they care about fishing they care about the bass population they care about angling it's not the same in a lot of states let's just put it that way what's interesting about that though is 
if you talk to biologists from any other state about the share lunker program, mm -hmm. they'll straight tell you that it has zero effect on what they're doing down there. And it's just a marketing well, thing. It's, I'm not just talking about share lunker. Oh, I know. But what I'm saying is like, that's, that's what everybody talks about when they talk about Texas. Oh, they got the share lunker. They're putting the offspring <laughs> of all these big fish. Yep. That's just a marketing deal, guy. Like that is not why Texas is as good as it is. Texas is good as it is for why Ben's about to say. Well, let's let's take hydrilla for instance, right? Hydrilla is an invasive species in North Carolina and pretty much all over the country, including Texas. But they are not, as I understand it, because I've watched a lot of YouTube videos and podcasts on, it, especially after they did that study. Uh, and there's been a lot of information come out recently, but that the, the results of the study at Toledo Bend. I was watching that a year ago and, and watching a lot of the Texan wildlife guys and the hydrilla, like they're not going out to killing it. They're trying to manage it because right. they know how good it is for the species. They're not allowed to bring in any more hydrilla, mm -hmm. but they're trying to manage They're managing it. what they have. Yes. Yeah. And they manage, you know, like you look at a lake like uh, Fork, uh, Toledo Bend with the timber, mm -hmm. and they do what they can to protect that and to have habitat for those fish. Uh, and it's like you said, it's not something you see every state do. Uh, again, I don't. I don't necessarily think that that money spent in Jordan is is necessary. Uh, Jordan's a tough fishery. Don't get me wrong, um, but I think it's a really healthy fishery. You may not go out and catch a hundred stunted bass a day, but I mean, if you catch, you know as well as I do, if you catch five or six, you've caught at least one pretty good one. You're mm -hmm. not going out and catching five thirteen inchers. You're gonna have. Well, I don't. I honestly, right hand to God. Don't know if I've caught more than one fish out of Jordan Lake that's under two pounds. Hmm. If I if I think back about all the times I fish, and I throw a lot of bigger baits, and I'm looking for bigger bites because I don't like fun fishing Jordan that much. I like to go out there and tournament fish because you can catch bigger fish. So I'm throwing different baits for to get those bigger bites. But the, I just don't see and catch a lot of those little fish. I can think of two, honestly, under two pounds that I've ever caught in in the four years I've been down here and fishing it pretty regularly. And, and there's a lot, there's a lot of anglers that don't agree with the F1 bass initiative, particularly in Jordan Lake. And the reason being is because like Pete talked about, we have giant sacks of fish and that's all throughout the year that come out of Jordan. It's not just in the, the pre-spawn time, like in the summertime, you're still seeing 25, 28 pound bags at the Wednesday or Tuesday nighters. I think it is you're still seeing three fish in the summertime weigh 19 pounds, oh, yeah, yeah. right? I, I think a lot of people have an issue with Jordan specifically because they're like, why fix what's broken, right? What isn't broken. Or, or why, yeah, don't fix what isn't broken, right? The other jo thing for me is the lack of like protected areas for those fish. So we don't have grass in Jordan. You have very limited brush and thing that is in livable water throughout the year because of how much sediment has settled now uh unless the lake's high most of the brush that used to be in the water and you know provided for frying those smaller fish because i think they were what four to six inch fingerlings or something like that yeah there's just not a lot of places for those fish to hide and you've got big bass you've got big carp you still got people don't might not know but there's still a bunch of good stripers and they're giant catfish there's some big old crappie in there that'll eat a four or five inch bass mm -hmm. it's yeah. just it's tough for me to to see the cost to what the benefit could be when you're talking, what do we say, twenty five thousand? So, for the for the numbers that we're tracking right now, like the, the co op has a goal of one hundred and fifty to one hundred and sixty thousand uh, dollars to stock four to six fingerlings per 
what is it, hectare or I think it's heck acre or hectic, yeah, however you say that. Per acre, right? The, per uh, in So it's area. about two acres. So two they want to they want to take one hundred fifty two hundred sixty thousand dollars and stock it with set amount of fingerlings F one fingerlings. So in Jordan, that's what twenty five thousand. Probably, I mean, roughly. If you <laughs> figure it's two and a half acres and you're doing how many four to six per acre? Yeah. That's what eighteen thousand acres. Yeah, and and look, I, I don't know. We'd have to have a biologist on here to talk about that that the fish habitat issue and and the survivability and if that's really going to work. Obviously, if they're if they're working in commission with the wildlife, they probably mitigated some of that. But but I'm with you, Jordan. I think it's very healthy uh, fishery. Uh, Norman, I mean, makes sense. They've already been stocking F ones in Norman, and you can go catch them if you run up the river and all mm-hmm. uh, to largemouth territory. Gaston, we'll see. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. And, and for the viewers, like you know, provide your input. Like we're not biologists by any means, but you know, I think the reason for Jordan is because of the habitat because it is so rich in nutrients that they think that the F1s are going to thrive there. And maybe the overall goal is to harvest them from Jordan and plant them into other lakes. Eventually. I don't know. We don't know. Right. We definitely see the benefit with Lake Norman. We definitely see the benefit with Gaston, but we even talked about earlier and Ben brought up a good point for those of you who aren't familiar with the Yadkin chain. And that consists of high rock Lake Tucker town, uh, Baden Lake and Tillery, or maybe flip-flop the two. Right. Those are the four primary lakes in the Yadkin chain. And there have been Alabama spotted bass caught in those fisheries, right? Yeah. I mean, every once in a while, I think, um, a couple will show up. It's mostly largemouth, and I haven't fished in a couple of years, but it's one of those lakes that it's a nut like Tillery, for instance, is a numbers lake. You go oh, there, yeah. you catch numbers, you can usually limit out, but the winner of a lot of like club tournaments are. 12 to 15 pounds yeah, right. in the spring. Um, now local guys will like someone will get 20 pound bags, but it's, it's right. not, it's not your Jordan Lake where you're, where the winners have yeah. to have 30 pounds to win. Yeah. Right? You know, so I, <clears throat> if they're going to do it, I would love to see the Yakin chain. It's also relatively close to it. It's about an hour and a half West. Uh, Jordan interests me too, because one of the guys heading this, and I know we said, you know, there were some people, but Marty stone is one of the guys that's this part of the mm-hmm. nonprofit that's kind of heading it. And, you know, he's a local guy. And when MLF was here for the uh, heavy hitters a few years ago, he talked at length on camera multiple times about the lack of cover for fry and fingerling fish in Jordan Lake because of how much sediment was in the lake. And the same, he said the same with falls, mm-hmm. that they need to raise those lakes three feet, the core engineers does, in order to provide that habitat for the fish. So it's kind of like a conflicting thing. You're saying that we don't have the habitat for the fish that are naturally being spawned there, but now we're going to go put a bunch of fish in there that are going to compete even more for that. So uh, that's where my conflict comes with Jordan. It's not that I'm wholeheartedly against it. I just don't, I feel like there's some other things that think if they could think if anybody's local and a fish Jordan and knows if they, if they could core would raise that lake three feet, think about how much better that lake would be. Yeah. I mean, we all know we love fishing. When when that water level is three feet high, go to the bushes. Yeah, That's right. And it's, the bushes are in the water. You can get into the yeah. you can get to the creek mouse where the you know the feeder streams are coming in. Those you know those creek ditches are now fishable. The fur, it's not just that it's fishable, but now there's more places for those fry, those fingerling. There's more spawning areas opened and, up. And it, and it wouldn't be well. It's obviously an issue when you're raising water levels and all, but there's no there's no development on Jordan. 
and yeah. really none on falls. Nope. So the potential is there to be able to do that. I, so. I just don't know if they're taking into consideration like the dam in what the, because I do know that if you, if any of you know the dam that's at Jordan Lake that feeds into the Cape Fear, is it the Cape Fear? Yeah, it's e- the, eventually. It's eventually the, the Cape Fear. Well, you have a town called Lillington that's down the way. If that dam were ever to break, Lillington would be underwater, right? And they talked about that before, specifically when we had some of the hurricanes coming through. But, you know, I think what we're saying is like, we're not sure what the return on investment would be to enter, to take fishermen's money. And what they're asking for is 3000 bass fishermen on an annual basis to donate a hundred dollars to this program to continue funding the F1 bass to be introduced into Jordan, Norman and Gaston, and probably eventually other fisheries. Right. But we don't really know what the return on investment would be. So, you know, Take that into consideration. If you've looked at this, there's some articles that are published on this. This is a good conversation because this could change our bass fisheries 10 to 15 years down the road because those F1 bass grow quick and they have very quick, but they have metabolisms that allow them to grow quick, flourish in cold water, flourish in the summer, summer heat. And they're a prime predator to eat up a bunch of spotted bass. But I'm going to be honest with you. I think the spots in Norman would crush them. I just think they would crush them. bigger spots in Gaston now, too. Yeah. So it's it's something to think about, but that's what they're asking for. This co-op that's supporting, you know, this nonprofit that's supporting the Wildlife Commission, they want to get anglers money for a good reason, right? Let's make it clear. Like, what they're trying to do, we 100% support. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. I think all of us as anglers... And yeah. I hope everyone listening, like we want to make our fisheries better. Absolutely. We just want to be, you know, the most prudent and efficient and do it the best way be, we can. Right. And, and these conversations sure are important. If I'm donating a hundred dollars a year over the next five years, that that money is, they're being fiscally responsible with Absolutely. It, and that it makes sense. And I, I don't, you know, we're, we're trying to get one of the biologists that's part of this in to talk. And I think we have that worked out. So we'll hopefully be able to bring you some more info on it. And maybe it's something for folks outside North Carolina. You can go to your biologist and say, Hey, they're doing this. What will we have to do to yeah, get started here? You know, this isn't just a, the F1 bass can live all the way up through Maine in, in those cold mm-hmm. freezing temperatures. So, and, and talking with Corey, when we were down at ICAST yeah. and he, he is, um, he's part of this. He's, he's the North Carolina, I forget his exact t- title, but he's the biologist, fishery biologist. But, uh, he was saying, you know, the reason why a lot of States, including North Carolina can't do what like Texas does, it comes down to, to resources yeah. financially. They don't get the budget from the state. So we're trying to like this organization, which I think is great, is trying to find a way to help supplement that. So yep. these these are great conversations. Hopefully, we as a community can continue to improve our bass uh, fisheries, uh, just so you know we everyone can enjoy the hobby uh, for many more generations to come. That's yeah. true. So we talked about like part of the reason they're doing this. That was a really loud pop. I apologize. <laughs> is Norman and Gaston spotted bass invasive? And the issue there was anglers transporting fish either into the rivers above those bodies of water or into those bodies of water directly. Uh, we saw it in the Great Lakes with zebra mussels, uh, which luckily turned into be not a terrible thing uh, because they helped clean up and filter some of the water. Um, but still, you don't want to transform to other bodies where they're not native. So clean your stuff out. Don't, yeah. don't start bringing fish to lakes they don't belong in. I'm fairly certain I've caught spots in... And Sharon Harris, uh, I'm almost 100 percent positive. I thought I did too. One and time. when I talked to Corey about it, he said you probably did because of where they are in the river. 
there's a good chance that they end up in, in Sharon Harris. They have I mean, not made it to Jordan yet. But. I mean, it's hard when they get in the river system, like eventually they're going to end up, you know, in our bodies of water. But a lot of times they end up in the river systems all because anglers move them there because they just want to catch more fish. Yep. And they end up doing more harm than good. Yeah. I mean, it's if you take a fish out of a lake and put it in your private pond, it's not going to have the serious negative effects as it is like, oh, you know what? Let's grab these spots, take them to Bugs Island or Car Lake, whatever, and drop them in there. The, the reproduction rate of an Alabama spotted bass is significantly quicker than a lot of the other species of fish, right? They, they eat, they're extremely aggressive. They will destroy bait fish. They, are, they're like, they're like a spot or a smallmouth on steroids, man. Like they really are. So like Pete said, not only clean your stuff out, wipe it down. Don't transport bacteria and other invasive species from one lake to the next, but don't transport fish from one lake to the next because you want to catch more or bigger fish. It's not going to work out. And all you're going to do is negatively impact all the fisheries throughout your state. And potentially, I mean, look at what happened with the Asian carp deal, mm -hmm. right, in, in Kentucky and well, look Tennessee. At, I mean, look at Norman at tournament weights, like from when it was an all largemouth lake to where we're at now, where, I mean, it was a lot like Jordan. You needed 25, 30 pounds. Yep. Now an 18 pound bag is, is a big bag and that's usually some bigger spots and then a couple kicker largemouth. But I think it's gotten, it's starting to get a little bit better. Gaston is, um, some of the F ones are, are doing fairly good from when they did the first stocking, but some of those spots are just getting giant in Norman. Um, and Gaston, uh, I haven't fished a lot. I fished last year and there, there's plenty of spots in that lake. And I mean, I caught a pile of them and there's a pile of them that are that big, you know, 12 yep. inches and, and they run in a pack of 300, a whole school of 300. And, <laughs> I mean, I went through 97 drop shot weights, I think, in that <laughs> tournament weekend because you'd have one hit the bait, one hit the drop shot They're not weight, inside they, the fish. Well, they, they're not they are, probably. <laughs> I can't control what they do when they eat the weight. You know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they didn't go in when I weighed them. But, so um, yeah. clean, clean your boat out. Don't transport fish to another body of water. And we're going to talk about that transitions right into etiquette right? Yeah. Fishing etiquette, the unwritten Boating. rules that exist, right? The laws are there. They're black and white. Clean your stuff. Don't transport fish, creel limits, five fish limit, whatever. But the unwritten rule of bass fishing and fishing in general, unwritten, even right? in general. So we're going to talk about that. And I know the viewers, we know the viewers really wanted to hear our thoughts on that. And, and we all have our own opinions and we all have some, some stories that we can tell. Let's start at the ramp, right? Okay. Let's start at the ramp. When you take your boat, right? And we're not kayakers, right? We're boaters. This goes for kayaks too. This goes for kayaks. When you take your boat and you roll into the ramp, if you're the first person there, right? And you have it all to yourself because you're like me and you like to get to the water two and a half hours early so you can idle out there, get to your spot and sit on and spot lock. You, you pretty much have the ramp to yourself. But if you're loading up on a weekend day, or, or a tournament day and you pull up, what do you, Ben, for, for your like own internal procedures, what do you do? Yeah. So typically like if it's not raining that day, I mean, I'll make sure I'll put the plug in the boat before I even pull out from the house. And then a lot of times I'll have my rods already strapped down. Depends on how far I actually have to travel. But regardless, when I show up to a ramp, I pull off to the loading unloading zone. I, I unstrap everything. I put everything that I want up on the boat that I, I'm going to need immediately. So if I have to tie up to the ramp, 
I'm going to pull my rope out and it's going to be already set up. In fact, I'll probably already tie it up to one of the cleats. Um, maybe not if I don't, if it's really busy, I don't know which, which like dock I'm going to, which side I'm going to tie up on, but it's all going to be there. So when you back down into the water, you just, you unload, you hop on and you're good to go. There, it should take no more than five minutes mm -hmm. uh, to do that. And we've all seen it. And it's okay, right, to take your time and all, as long as you're not backing people up. Like, don't <laughs> yeah. do it in the ramp. I don't if, care if it takes you nine hours to unload your truck and put everything in your boat. Don't back down the ramp and then do it. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I think we should even rewind from driving your boat to the ramp. If you're a new boat owner, go practice backing your boat up in a parking lot or something like that. Because what Ben talked about was streamlining the process, right? Being selfless, like making sure that he can get in the water and out of everyone else's way because they're also trying to enjoy their day. But if you're that guy or gal that goes out and buys your brand new boat and has never practiced before, and you're taking Peter Griffin hours to back your boat into the water and it, you have to make a 120 point turn to back straight, you probably need to go do some practicing. So before you even strap your rods down, before you even put your plug in your boat, go practice with your trailer, right? Yeah, yeah. go to a big parking lot, practice there, practice your driveway. And then if, if you feel like you need to take it to the next level, go to the ramp, go early in the morning on a weekday or something when you know no one's going to be there. Yeah. And then practice and become efficient. So when you, when you, if you're fishing tournaments or, you, or you, it's the weekend and really busy, we all know how it is in the summertime. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? the lines a quarter mile half mile back you know actually i've been in tournaments where the, it's been like a mile long line mm -hmm. uh, for the boat ramp so you just want to be efficient and because keep everybody calm everybody be calm get on the water go have a great day we don't want to get you know P yeah people struggling the backup doesn't bother me as much as the guys that keep their boat covered and then back down the ramp and then want to <laughs> uncover their boat. And then they get I don't their think boat. I've seen that one. I yeah. haven't seen that. Yeah. Then they get their boat uncovered and then they got to take everything out of their truck and put it in there. I mean, I literally watched a guy at Pose one morning while there's two torments trying to watch, take an entire ramp for a good 35 minutes while he took his cover off his boat <laughs> and did all this other stuff. And, you know, there's a line now up to the, the main road yeah. coming down into Pose and everybody's bad and, you know, if you struggle a couple of times to back up, somebody's probably going to say, hey, do you want me to do that for you? Or, hey, cut it this way, cut it that way. You know, I'll help those folks because it happens. I mean, I, I've been backing boats up since I was 12 years old, and there's times where it's like I forget, and you start, and you're like, what am I doing? And you're all, I mean, you know, you end up all cockeyed and, and, and crazy, but. You can always do it the old Marty Stone way, just back in and let the boat float off and ask somebody to take you to your boat. Oh, yeah, that works too. <laughs> it's a technique, right? Don't hey, do that unless you got buddies there. And shut your dang headlights off, please. When yep. you back down the ramp in the morning, shut your headlights off uh, because that, that'll that shut down the other ramps close to you if it's a multi-ramp launch just because you can't see anything at night when your headlights are pointed up in the air like this and, and somebody's trying to back in at the, you know, the next slot next to you. So, you know, have your stuff ready. Like Ben said, pull off to the side in the, in the prep area. Take your straps off. It takes me five minutes to, to get everything unstrapped, plug uh, turn all, I turn all my graphs on so that everything's booted up and ready to go. And then, you know, I'll put it in the water, but, um, yeah, when, when, man, that guy that morning, I'll never forget him. It was a Ranger boat too. Back down there has big fancy Ranger cover on there. Oh, this is a bass boat. Oh, it was a bass boat. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't a lake lice boat. It wasn't a wake boat or anything. It was a guy that bass fishes and he wasn't an older guy or anything. It was, you know, probably just a little bit older than us, but 
yeah, back down there with the cover on. And it wasn't, he, he wasn't new to boating. I mean, the boat was older. He swung it right in at Jordan, which is, you guys know, isn't the easiest ramp at Pose to oh, no. to swing yeah. one shot into because it's kind of a funky turn there. I mean, he he one shot backed it right in there and then just jumped out of his truck and went and started taking his cover off. And I thought he was going to launch it and like moor it with the cover on or something. I didn't know what he was doing. And he kept his headlights on the whole time. <laughs> I think yeah. the, the important message is you can't control what anyone else does, but you can't control what you do. You can practice with your trailer. You can get on Google and look at what your ramp is going to look like, especially if you go to a new body of water. I mean, Pete took me to the Roanoke River. Never been there before in my life. And I was like, ooh, this could be challenging, right? Look at the map. Find out where you're going, right? Do some studying and then prep your equipment. Pete talks about backing down the ramp. If someone else's headlights are on, you cannot see out of your rear view or side mirrors. You can't right and 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 also by the way just when you turn your headlights off a lot of trucks fog lights don't turn off either so push your button in if you have a ford f-150 or whatever truck you're driving just because you turn your headlights off doesn't mean they all turn off and that is just showing common courtesy to the rest of the anglers out there or whoever's putting boat in because you can't see right so control what you can control so ramp etiquette streamlined get your stuff ready get in the water and then what do you guys do if you're by yourself? Like, how do you load your boat or offload your boat and tie it up? Where do you tie it up on the ramp? I usually try right, to on beach the it. Okay. But don't, yeah, you don't want to tie it up in the ramp. Right. I've seen guys back them down themselves and they power pull down and then they drive off and the ramp's still blocked and it takes them 45 minutes to come back. I actually moved to dude's boat at Jordan. So, <laughs> I mean, I've, at, seen, I've seen that happen at a lot. Pose, there's like four, you know, and yep. then they have the dock. Well, he backed down. It was a busy morning. He backed down the one right next to the dock, barely got it off the trailer, tied it off, and then left. And, I mean, he was gone. My boat was launching everything for, like, he was gone for, like, 10 minutes. And people were getting all mad, so I just went over and moved his boat for him. Hmm. I, personally, I like to beach him just because. Hey, I beach mine. I Me mean, too. I don't get the rope out. You just push off, right? <laughs> Super easy to get on and off. You're out of the way from the, from the actual boat dock. You know, each boat dock's different, so it's yep. all situational. It's situational. If, 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 if the courtesy dock is away from the ramp, go to that. If, if, if there's not, cause we know there's some ramps that the dock, the courtesy docks are just there at the ramp. So what mm. you want to do, you want to tie up as far back as you, as you possibly yep. can, because that, when you go park your boat and you rush back down there, someone else can still back in and untie theirs and tie theirs up. That's right. Um, and then you just right, then you back off and go wherever you got to go. So you, you just want to be, uh, I guess the best principle is be courteous and, and try to have the make the least inconvenience for other people. Yeah, and yeah. for you kayak folks, same thing. Pull over, take your crates and all that stuff out in that boat loading zone. That way you can back it down and whatever you do. I've, and, okay, so kayak, one thing on kayaks <clears throat> that I've seen. Don't back down to the edge of the water. Set your kayak on the ramp and then pull away and just leave it there out of the water. You can't you're, see it. Yeah, one, you can't see it. And two, you're still blocking that ramp. Yep. Take it. Every every ramp has somewhere you can... You can I have seen that. You can beach it or whatever. So, you know, take it, drag it, tie it off to the dock, drag it over to the side and beach it, whatever it is. But don't just don't just put it on land because I'm telling you right now, I've started down ramps and, or I, you know, somebody's backing me in and you look and you're like, oh... Yeah. Hey, whoa! Yeah. And there, you know, there's a kayak there, and that's going to be a six thousand dollar crunch. Um, <laughs> so yeah, think about that if you're if you're a kayak angler. Just uh, 
use the same principles. I don't mind sharing the ramps with them. I think it's great that more people are getting in the water, but it doesn't you you can't act differently because you have a smaller vessel or whatever. Yeah. You still have to be respectful. A couple things. That, I mean, again, this isn't written, right? This is just experience, right? Common sense plays a lot. You really can't buy that anywhere. You just got to learn it. Um, but you're naturally going to get into a rhythm right? after you're a boat owner, or a kayak owner, or a vessel owner for some period of time. The best thing you can do is get in a rhythm like the way I start my boat is from the front left corner all the way. I work my way around to the front right corner and I make sure everything is good to go. And then I back into the water and then I go to the courtesy ramp or whatever the case may be. Um, the second thing I would say is don't be afraid to help somebody out. Yep. Right. And I've done that several times where there's somebody struggling at the ramp or maybe it's an elderly person and you know as well as I do, like it, the mobility goes away when you hit about 70 something years old or, or, or like mine's going away right now. Don't be afraid to help somebody out. Right. Like I think it's, it's amazing when you, because the bass fishing world or angling in general, like it's surrounded with a bunch of good people, get out there and help somebody out. Man. They may learn something. You may learn something too. Absolutely. So you're on the ramp, you got your truck parked, right? I don't know if there's any etiquette with parking your truck. Just park in the lines. Yeah, park in the lines. Like, make sure your possible. trailer isn't like blazing over, right? I've had people if, hit my trailer. And if you hit somebody, <laughs> leave a note. Leave a note. The other thing. I, like my, yeah. my, you've had an issue, oh, yeah, right? Broke I, I've had issues, out. broke my taillights out. Just leave a note. They're not that expensive. Yeah. If <laughs> everybody else is backed into their spot at the ramp, back your truck and boat <laughs> into because you have created a logistical nightmare if everybody's backed in and you pull in. Yeah. You wouldn't think you would, but it screws. It's it's tough to back out if you're backed in. It's tough to pull out if the guy next to you pulls in it. Well, you bring up a great point, right? So Saturday, and, and, ben, and ben and Pete talked about this, we fished that PBC event. We launched out of the Farrington Boat Ramp, which is the farthest ramp on Jordan Lake. Everybody backs into the spots there, right? It's a nightmare to back into those spots. Oh, yeah. It's absolutely a nightmare, and and I hate that ramp. Like I do not like. I would much rather launch out of any other ramp yeah. out of Georgia. I have no idea why people back in. I that don't ramp. know either, right? But I do know this: if you do pull into the spot, it creates a oh, slinky yeah. effect, and you're waiting there, like <laughs> like legitimately jumping out of, like weighing your fish in, and then jumping back in the truck because the line hasn't moved, right? Yep. And this is for a local level event, so you know, follow suit. If you see that, right. Like Pete was saying, follow suit. Like they're doing it for a reason, right. C creates a good flow. Um, so yeah, your so launch yeah. trucks parked. Yep. Now you're out on the water. I want to talk about one thing with running and we saw it at the last elite event about, so I can't remember whose boat it was, but, um, they, I saw the interview with him and he was running down and there was a local running in front of him and the local, Never looked, just turned and cut right in front of him, and he had to put his boat into the woods. Uh, luckily, a bunch of guys got out and pushed his skeeter bass boat out of the woods, and he fished the rest of the tournament. Oh, yeah, I did And it was see just a couple scratches. But so don't, one, if you're running, especially tournament, you know, there's other folks around, even a morning when there's a busy ramp, before you cut across a leg or do anything crazy, look. If you're following, be smart, pay attention. Try to. I always try to run in line with the boat in front of me mm -hmm. and not off to the side or whatever. One, the wake's not as bad if you're directly behind them. If it makes me have to run a little slower because it's a slower boat, I'll wait till I have a point to pass them. But when you start stacking, like you see guys do because everybody wants to race, all it takes is that one guy saying, nope, this is my hole, 
And now this guy doesn't have time to react. Mm-hmm. And we talked about it. You can't hear that boat behind you. No. So if you don't look, I mean, I've looked and had boats, what you would say, like on your quarter panel, if it was a vehicle, like right there, I look and there's the front end of another bass boat, That's you know, crazy. 10 feet to my right. Crazy. And he's just running. And it's like, well, I'm not, I'm not cutting there. So then you either got to throttle down or... No, you got to do whatever you got to no do. There's no brake lights on a no, boat. There's, there's no, no way no of knowing. Lights. So if you're running, pay attention. One, if you're going to make a cut, look behind you and see if there's anybody there. Two, be smart if you're running in that pack. Everybody's in such a hurry to get to their spot, and I get it. Here, here's another but it's one. dangerous. Here's another one of running. And we talked about this Friday with Emily, one of our brand ambassadors, when, when we did our uh, Fishing Friday Live, and she's a kayak angler. Like when you're when you're on or when we're on our bass boats and we see a kayak mm. or, or even just another boat fishing up against the bank, unless you are going to throttle down and and go to an idle like a quarter mile yeah. or several hundred yards before them, stay on pad and just blow past them because actually there's a smaller wake yeah. when you're when, when you're up on plane than if you try to slow down. And you, you know, it's not but, an idle through. Yeah. The you bow come of that it, boat yeah. is pushing. <laughs> it's like a snowplow. It's just pushing all that water. So yeah, especially like boats like mine that come off pad terribly. It's like rah, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like it just plows water into them. So I like that sound effect. We'll have yeah. to save that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a, a good point. point. And then <clears throat> you did bring up something too. So Pete talked about running behind other boats. And I know we're kind of jumping around here, but these are unwritten, it's unwritten etiquette. So there's no way to stay on track, but it's not only for tournament fishing, but think about the summertime, right? You're running behind a wakeboard or kids on a tube. And I see this all the time. Bass boats will get up and they'll try to drift behind like the Ricky Bobby, right? And doing a little shake and bake so that they don't catch those big waves. Right. But Right in front of them, 50 feet, are two kids bebopping around on a, on a, well, here's the yeah. deal. They fall off <laughs> and you're going to run somebody over. So if you're that bass boat that's running 70 miles an hour and you just think it's cool to be behind a, a big wakeboard or a, a tube, like do yourself a favor, man. Like put yourself out of the running for running one of those kids over, right? And that's, that's just unwritten. Right. Oh, yeah. Maybe it is law. I don't know. Yeah, just but be safe. Just be safe. So, some states do have like like following distance laws, and you learn about that if you take a boat or, boat or safety course. But I don't have not. an issue about that because if I see a wake boat, I try to go to the other side. I try way. to get as far away from them <laughs> yeah. as I can. I hate If you're things. a wake boater that listens to this, quit just running around when you're not towing anybody with them stupid things full, your ballast full, making wake for no reason. <laughs> Come on, man. That's stuff, man. I, I hit a ghost wake on Gaston. Ooh running back to weigh in uh last year and I, everything was out of the water i i was like well i mean they look like, like a ricky blast, bobby and they gotta be fun yeah but man do i hate them when i'm fishing <laughs> i appreciate some of the music they play and yeah yeah. Oh, yeah 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 and then on the water um just be just be, be a good person i i try to give everybody like a thousand yards so if they're fishing a point or fishing around a point or fishing a bank and I want to fish the bank. I'm either going to pull in behind them a thousand yards, or if they're fishing to something I want to fish, but it's a thousand yards or so in front of them, I'll go in front of them. Don't cut ten feet in front of a guy and start fishing or fifteen feet in front of a guy. A couple stories of this. I just thought of another one we talked about earlier, but I was fishing Jordan one day, and I was fishing down a bank line on the river end, 
there's a little spot with some grass that, I, that I've had some luck in. So I'm fishing through this grass pocket. And all of a sudden, this dude comes blazing in on the other side. And it, I don't know, maybe 30 yards from me. Comes down, jumps up, runs up, drops his trolling motor. Runs up and starts making casts. I'm fishing in. He's fishing in. And and then he gets like 15 yards in front of me. He trolling motors straight across and then starts fishing down in front of me. Mm. So I'm talking loud enough to make sure that he knows that, that, that I'm there and can hear me without without yelling at him directly. And uh, he fishes back around to where he started. Well, I get right to where he cut in front of me, and I flip into the grass with a jig and two pop, and I caught about a six-and-a-half-pounder right from where he had just fished. So he instantly trolling motored down or, and got back his boat and took off because he was mad. I, I'm glad you mentioned that <clears throat> because, you know, pretty much all tournaments, and, like, my hard and fast rule is I'm not going to pull up within 50 yards or something. Yeah, that's right. Actually... I'm more like UP. I don't want to be around I anybody. Be, I don't want to be around anybody. But we know how sometimes fish set up in, in those schools and those community holes that sometimes you're going to be around people. But, you know, 50 yards is my hard and fast rule unless you ask, right, hey, do you mind if I come in and, and you know, just just be cool and be nice about it, be a good person. And they either say yes or no and you just go about yeah. your day. But if you do want to fish a bank line and someone's there, fish behind them. Yeah. Because you can catch plenty of fish behind oh, yeah. people. Absolutely. So... Fish behind yourself. So that was too. karma. For, <laughs> oh, I do that all the time. Yeah, that was two two karma instances. That was karma for doing the right thing. <clears throat> Another story, and I, I've told this on a live, but I was fishing Jordan again, and uh, we were in a tournament, and jo- like Jordan can get early spring, there was seventeen other tournaments going on the same day. So I'm fishing around a point, very clearly on the trolling motor, throwing a moving bait, and I'm moving. Well, a gentleman came blazing past me, cuts like twenty yards in front of me, sets down, jumps up. Sits in a seat on the front while he puts his trolling motor and then lights a cigarette. Now, this is like, in my defense, probably the fourth person that has cut me off on a point like that morning. <laughs> like the fourth different point I'm fishing. And you just had enough? And I had enough. So I let him know how I felt about it. And uh, Did you put his cigarette out? <laughs> can we re- can we repeat that on this uh, family no, friendly? No, we'd have to change some settings in the podcast. It was I, beep, beep, it wasn't beep, very beep. uh it wasn't very godly of me the way I spoke to this man. And uh <clears throat> so I get done with my rant and he's saying, "Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry you don't have to cuss at me and I'm continuing to be a jerk cuz I was mad." So I run back to the back and I crank the motor up, put her in drive and floor down on the on the hot foot and start to go up on plane. And the next thing I know, this wake six foot high comes over the bow and just completely and totally drenches me. And I had left the trolling motor down. <laughs> <laughs> so here I am soaking wet. And my wife was fishing with me in the tournament. And I turn and look at her and she just had this grin on her face. And I was like, I know, don't even <laughs> say anything. They got me instantly. At the, you know, we're good. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, in, in, instant karma there. So if you do do something bad on the water, water and screw up, uh, be careful. You might get you might get a boat full of water. Yeah, so, you know, I'm fortunate. I I've never had too many bad instances. The only one I've had was that falls summertime fishing a point and a pontoon boat came between me and the point. Right? Mm. He's not an angler. I just put my hands up, and he, he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't see you were there. I don't know how you didn't see me, but that that stuff happens. It's frustrating. Like you don't want to, you know, those of us that that fish, like we don't want to cut people off where they're casting. Like look yeah. to see where people are casting and that sort of thing. But you know, I have had anglers cut intentionally cut points that I'm fishing because they wanted to fish it and I was there. 
Yeah, that's just being a bad sport. That's just that's being, it was being a bad, bad sport. Bad sport. Yeah. So don't do that. We, we've don't all, be like that. <laughs> Come on. Don't be don't be that person. Yeah. We've all had those bad experiences in in some way, shape, or form. But let's talk about how you react, right? Because that's part of the etiquette as well. So how we react in some of these situations, you know, Pete and Ben talked about like getting cut off at points and and uh, you know wakeboarders and pontoon boaters and stuff like that. But, you know, part of the etiquette in my opinion, this is my opinion is how we react to those situations, right? It's easy to fly off the handle. It's easy to start cursing people out. Sometimes it's necessary. I'm going to throw that out there. Sometimes you just need to give somebody a whole piece of your mind, but sometimes there's a lot of ignorance on the water, especially with people that aren't necessarily fishermen. You know, I had a couple experiences, one of them being uh, fishing up in in, uh, in southwestern Michigan, right? And a lot of those lakes in, in Michigan have docks on them, mm-hmm. right? And we all know, we've all seen the viral videos. Heck, even Kyle Welcher just pushed, put one on TikTok where people are getting on him for creating a wake coming through an area because they live on those boats. And I thought he handled the situation really well. I mean, he composed himself, even though he was being belittled, being called a redneck, being called other things that I won't say. Other R words. Other R words, right? But I was up fishing um, on a on a relatively small lake filled with hydrilla, just a beautiful lake. I mean, you can make a cast anywhere and catch a fish. But a lot of those fish were around the docks, right? And so I'm fishing around the docks. And of course, I get a dock, Karen, that comes out and says, hey, you need to get off my property. And, you know, I could have easily been like, you know what, like you don't own the water, bro. But I just basically said, hey, listen, like I'm just fishing, enjoying my time here. Now, she kept kind of getting at me. But what I did was I fished and moved on. Right. There was no pressure in that situation. Right. It wasn't a tournament. Now, that would have been a different situation. If I would have been fishing competitively for money, I may have handled the situation a little bit differently. Say, hey, listen, I'm fishing competitively. This is public water. That's the deal. But it wouldn't have done me or the person in the back of the boat any good if I just flew off the handle and start cursing this person out because, you know what, it's not worth it at that point, right? I mean, yeah. And you probably would have handled it a little bit differently if you were catching fish there. Yeah. You know? I've had this similar situation. I mean, I was, but keep Oh, going. you were? Well, yeah, in, yeah. In that case... I mean, they weren't like Jordan Lake eight and a half pounders. They were just like little cookie cutter bass, oh, but okay. still, but still, you know, but keep going. Yeah, I mean, it's all. It you just want to be as professional as nice about yeah. it as you can, and just try to explain. Look, like usually, hey, I'm gonna fish here. If I don't catch anything, I'll move on. Yeah, but we we all know the deal. Like you don't own the water. Actually, we were talking about this uh, beforehand. But like, it, what's ironic about it? If they're on a core lake, like they don't even own the land, uh, their shoreline. Yeah, you legally <clears throat> can walk around the entire shoreline of a core lake. Regardless, there's docks and houses and you know in close proximity and all. I don't think they own the the dock either, do they? Yeah. Well, I I, I don't know all the lakes. I'm because I'm thinking like a Bull Shoals. Okay. And there's only so many spots on the lake can have a dock, and I think you do own it, but you have to you, move it. You but anyway, the land essentially. Yeah. And okay. you get, but there's a take line around the entire body of water. Not all lakes are like that, of course. But I, now we're getting off on a tangent. No, no. <laughs> so, I, mean, well, it's, I mean, it comes down to like if you're if you're a bank fisherman know the rules of the body of water you're going to fish because you might there might be opportunities there bank fishing we haven't talked about bank yeah, fishing. i mean true. don't be i don't have a lot of etiquette stuff for bank fishing i will say if i'm fishing and i come across a guy that's bank fishing i will avoid that area that he's fishing as much as i can i'm not oh. going to come up and flip into a bush that he's fishing or 
I wasn't even thinking about being on the boat, but yes, absolutely. I tried to completely go around and avoid banking because yeah. they are limited. They're, they're stuck basically sure. where they're at. Yeah. And I can go anywhere on the lake. But uh, for bank, uh, bank angler etiquette, if you want to fish, you just go ask people if yeah. it's private property. Um, you'd be surprised the number of people who might say yes. Mm. And then when you do that, or even if it's a public thing, just pick up trash. Oh, yeah. Right? Yes. Just, just make it better and go have fun and catch your fish. We see it's it on true. Jordan. You know, certain certain crowds of people when they're crappier under the bridge is really heavy and they'll come sit on the riprap and you go in there on a Monday and there's half empty cases of beer oh. shoved in the rocks and, you know, they just they just trash the place. Don't don't be like that. I don't, if you want to go catch crappy and drink, that's cool. Like, have fun, but... Take your stuff with you. I'm not going to lie. Like it's a whole, if you bring it with you, take it home. Yeah. And, and so that, that goes from etiquette to just breaking the damn law, right? Like I make it a point to carry like industrial sized trash bags in my boat, at least one of them with me, because I'm not going to not grab beer cans that are floating across the yeah. water, water yeah. bottles and stuff. That stuff happens. I know it blows out of my boat too. I make a point to turn around and go pick it up if I see it, but if you see that kind of stuff, like, and you're not fishing competitively and time's not on the line and money's not on the line, like make our fisheries better, right? Yeah. Just do your due diligence, make our fisheries better. And it, I always do that. It goes back to what we were talking about in the beginning, right? They're try, we're all trying to make our fisheries better. That's a very simple way to do that. That is. Yeah. And I will say this too. If you see somebody trashing the shorelines, freaking call the, the wildlife commission and report them. Right. Make them pay, make them take accountability for being like bad people. Um, and I, I've done it before. Like if I see somebody literally just chucking out Ozark trail things that they bought from Walmart and they're just trash everywhere, I'll literally get on the phone with a game warden and be like, Hey, this is happening right now. You know, like these people need to be held accountable for this because we get, we're held accountable for our mm -hmm. actions as well. Right. Especially in tournaments when the, when the game warden walks up and says, let me see your fishing license. Hey, here's my fishing license, right? I pay this, right? So that we can continue pumping money into our fisheries. So the etiquette's there. You may not know it, but it's basically common sense. And then there's the law. Follow the law, right? It goes a long way. And, and the last thing I'll say, because we, we jumped to bank fishing, but this is for all boating in general or just being on the water. There are so many kids that are on these boats with people that the way that you behave is going to send either a good or bad message to how they're going to grow up. Yep. Right. How you react to a situation where somebody cuts you off, how you react to a situation where somebody's cursing you out, whatever the case may be. So dude, like be a good person and make sure that you're not creating a trend of bad behavior as we continue to try to make our fisheries better. So that's perfect. Yeah. I got nothing else. I mean, that's like that perfect way. Yeah. To, yeah. Just be a good person. Be a good person. Be a good person. Be courteous. Uh, we were going to talk about like the ramp when you're off, when you're loading at the end of the day, there's not really much there. Wait your turn. Yeah. Don't cut in front of other people. Reverse order. Get your boat, get your boat on the trailer and pull away and go strap everything down. I will say, pull your plug, drain your water out. Right. If you got a bunch of grass and stuff caught up in the inlet and you're in your outboard, clean it out, spray your boat off Make sure you're not transporting stuff. Be a good person. Yeah. That nailed it. Ben, what you got? Closing. Hit that music. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a good one. Oh, my God. It's a toad, son. It's a f***ing toad, dude. Let's go.
I wake up to a little bit of drool on my pillow, feel like it's gonna be a bad day. 